Welcome to episode 132 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. This episode, I'm returning to Toronto Fringe coverage, and there are a lot of great conversations coming up that you won't want to miss, so make sure that you never miss an episode of Stageworthy, and the best way to do that is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. All you have to do is to go to Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or the new Google Podcast app and search for Stageworthy and click the subscribe button. And if you like the podcast, I would love it if you would leave a comment or rating because your comments and ratings help new people find the show. Two of the episodes that you will not want to miss are the Toronto Fringe Roundups, which will be coming to you on July the 7th and the 14th. Each of these episodes will be a conversation with a group of Toronto Fringe artists, and we'll talk about their shows, their experience at the Fringe so far, and what shows they've loved. Those episodes are recorded and released on the very same day, so Fringe News is as up to the minute as it can be. If you want to drop me a line, I would love to hear from you. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. This week, my guest is Madeline Brown, the playwright of Everyone Wants a T-Shirt, which you will find at the Theatre Passmerai Backspace as part of the 2018 edition of the Toronto Fringe. Well, even for us, we, you know, we're theater prime backspace and we're like, oh, it's good that we're close to the tent. And that's like, we're in the neighborhood, but even being within the neighborhood, we're still cognizant of being extra in the neighborhood. Yes. You know? Well, I mean, you, I always felt like when they were at the, uh, at Honest Ed, yeah. that having the, the proximity to the club, if you were in the annex or the, um, or the, the, Bathurst Street, whatever they call yeah. it, the Randolph Street. Randolph, yeah. That, that that was like a huge, like, yeah. you were in like a prime location to be able to just go over and go, we got a show coming up in 20 minutes. Yeah. Who wants to come and see it, you know? Unless your show was sold out. Yes. You know, you were lucky, but, yeah. you know, that worked out, you know, well, who knows what it's going to be like now. Yeah. Did you, yeah. did you, uh, did you get out? I didn't get out to the Fringe Club last year. I, yeah, I did. I Slightly less. That yeah. was my third fringe and that uh, slightly less than previous years but I quite liked it mm-hmm. I mean I liked the openness and the exposure you had in terms sure. of you walked in and you could see everyone and everything sure. uh, I mean but there was also a beauty to the alleyway in terms mm-hmm. of having little crevices like that yeah. um, but no I quite liked it and the, there's something quite bright and really in it that mm. I felt compared to previous years yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, I always have for me it's I've always felt <clears throat> that the the Fringe Club is a little bit inside baseball. Oh, for sure. Well, right. half the time I don't like going because I know that I'll be like, oh, I should probably talk to someone. Or well, that's my thing. Or right? I'm going to see someone. I don't really want to go. Yeah. And if I'm going to go, I really feel like I have to have a show to talk about. And I think what's interesting is is there are other fringes where the Fringe tent is for patrons 
and oh really yeah like winnipeg and edmonton yeah the only time you go to the fringe tent or to the to the beer tents yeah. are to, to 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 flyer for your show really yeah okay, the artists okay. have other places they go right 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 in, in winnipeg there's this, this pub called the king's head okay and in edmonton there's the diviest of dive bars called steel wheels everybody loves it it's yeah, disgusting, yeah 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 but everybody loves it right and it's sort of like i think they love it because it's like nobody goes here <laughs> this is our place right, right. Now. so it's like completely off the beaten path. Yeah. And people look forward to it. And some people even eat there, though they're braver than I. Yeah, because it's so diving. It's a super diving place. Yeah. But it has so much, everybody loves it so much. Yeah. Um, what are the, like, because when you contacted me, you're like, I'm doing a couple of shows. So what are you, what are you working what on? What am I working on? So I have, um, I have two that I actually did kind of with the same mm-hmm. groups of people last year. Okay. So the first one is one that I'm writing and I'll be acting in. And that's kind of with my own. I say company very loosely. We just have to... As, as we often do when it's free. Yeah, like yeah. You make up a name and you're like, I guess this is our name now. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one that I work on mm-hmm. with uh, my friend Aaron Jan, who's done French privacy and we've worked together before. Yeah, Aaron's been on the podcast yes. before. So. Yeah. So he dramaturges the work and then he'll direct it. Mm-hmm. So that one is called Everyone Wants a T-Shirt. Mm-hmm. And that's about a four-person comedy. Mm-hmm. And then the other show I'm working on is with a group... There's an organization called L'Arche, mm-hmm. uh, and they're based, they have locations, you know, worldwide. Okay. And it's a whole philosophy of housing and programming for adults with disabilities, kind okay. of under the sort of field of like, you know, living in community and how, you know, we can kind of live together. Mm-hmm. So they have a performance troupe called Soul Express okay. that I've been volunteering with for two years now. Mm. And last year they were, they participated in the Fringe, kind of a, usually they perform, we always devise shows every year, but normally it's just within the large community. It's quite small, just a couple of nights. So last year they coordinated with Fringe and got a slot and kind of did a lot in terms of doing relaxed performances, touch table, different, really making accessibility a big thing. Cause that's, you know, the majority of our cast (coughs) are members of this troupe who have disabilities. So it's, you know, important to make sure that it's accessible for the performers. So yeah, anyways, so we're back again this year doing kind of phase one of a longer term project. Okay. And that one's called um, uh, Freedom Makes Me Think About, uh, sorry, Birds Make Me Think About Freedom. Mm. And when you say that it's part of phase one of a larger project, is it like a work in progress? Is it something that's going to be larger, bigger as yes. it goes down the road? Yeah, I would say so. We um, So interestingly, the show is inspired by, um, I only learned about it through context of working on it, but there was a, Heronia was an institution in Ontario where people with disabilities were sent often, you know, different points of their lives, mm-hmm. and it was just horrible conditions. It was promoted as a hospital school, but mm-hmm. in reality, it was, you know, very bad conditions. People were poorly mistreated. Mm-hmm. So several years ago, there was... Um, a class action lawsuit against it and money was given out to survivors who mm. were able to demonstrate sort of this, what they'd gone through there, sure. which, you know, in itself is a difficult point if that, that can, you know, depending on kind of who you have supporting you to be able to make that claim. Yeah. So a lot of money wasn't given out. And then from what I gather, money that wasn't given out was taken back mm. and, uh, the government had to figure out what to do with it for the money that wasn't claimed. So it was then given out as grants to different organizations to do sort of projects that would promote or be in, you know, kind of in support of, uh, you know, be worthwhile considering it wasn't able to make it to survivors. So L'Arche and Soul Express specifically has minded to develop a show based on the reflections and experiences of survivors. So we're doing Fringe just because of the scope and the pressure of that kind of project. We, you know, Fringe will kind of be like a good phase one and then eventually we'll be able to do something, you know, figure it out further beyond there. 
Yeah. And fringe will give gives you the good the opportunity to put it in front of in front of some friendly eyes and yes. get immediate feedback. Yeah. So it's a good workshopping opportunity. Yeah, totally. Tell me about everyone gets a t-shirt. Everyone wants everyone a t-shirt. Wants a t-shirt. <laughs> everyone wants a t-shirt. Yes. Uh it's so last year was my first time writing a play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was purely because Aaron said, you should write a play. Uh, and I got into Fringe and it was sort of fluky. And so we had a good time. Yeah. And then I applied for Fringe again and got in again and was sort of slightly horrified. You are one of the lucky... <laughs> I, I know. I Honestly, I never expected it. Uh-huh. I, and I applied... I mean, that was... That was my, I think I applied one year, didn't get in. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, you know, it's a good exercise. Sure. If I get in, forces yeah. me to write something. So anyway, so that came At along. At least you're one of those people that write something before they apply. Oh, no, I don't do that. You don't no, do that? No, I don't do that. No, no, not uh, at all. Uh, no, I get in and go, oh, no, I have six months. Uh, what am I going to do? Uh, see, I've always, yeah. I've always only ever, and this is why whenever I go to the lottery, it's yeah. like, I feel like... It really means a whole lot to me because I'm like, oh, I have this thing I really want to perform and, and I don't get in. Yeah. And I I feel really kind of upset. And yeah. other people are like, oh, I don't write anything until I get into it. It's a final from in. And I'm like, is that the trick? <laughs> is that, how, is that have is low that expectations? How, yeah. That's my approach to life. Okay. I just go low expectation. Okay. Anything above it is great. So did you, last year, did you do the same thing? I did the same thing. And Aaron, was Aaron your, your partner in crime uh, or your enabler then as well? He, yeah, he was. We uh, so we'd worked together a couple times. He'd written a show called Rowing, which we mm-hmm. did like three times across like the Toronto, the Hamilton Fringe, and in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so we became friends over that process. And then at some point, he said to me, "It, it all became prompted because as we got to know each other, he said, oh, Madeline, you're a really terrible person. You should write a play about that." Oh. He just so he means it in the uh, I take it in the kindest way possible. Sure, yes, yeah. But he, I, I just you know I think as people get to know me, I have sort of. I, that's my sensibility. Okay. I just have a blunt sense of humor okay, or that's... a very, a sort of general cynicism about the world, okay, okay. you know? Uh, so he said, you should write a play. And I said, okay. And he said, it should be called Madeline Says Sorry. And that's all he kind of gave me. He was like, that will be the title. Okay. Or I think he probably, I it maybe said like Madeline, something like that anyways. Mm. So I got in a fringe and he was like, okay, well, this is it. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So it started as, I think I was going to write a one-woman show, and then I just, the cliche of one-woman fringe shows kind of got to me, and I thought, no, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So it became a two-person show, and it was about um, a woman who uh, loses a role to a dog in a Shakespeare play, is Mm -hmm. very riled up about it, so kidnaps the dog and gets in all this trouble, Mm -hmm. and the kind of last stage, they've tried to reprimand her, and they just can't, so... She's sent to this made-up apology clinic and has to come up with an apology for this dog. Okay. So the whole play is her at this clinic with the the man who runs the clinic and trying to get her to genuinely apologize. Mm. Mm. And sort of what comes out of that and just sort of then talking about, you know, what does it mean to be genuine Mm. and what does an apology really get you anyways? And that was the topic. So we did it very like, this is for Fringe, we'll never do it again, that's it, you know? And uh, it turned out... We sold way better than we ever thought. We, mm-hmm. I, you know, a week before Friend, I was convincing myself because it was always my money in it. I was oh, like, yeah. you know what? If I lose the money, learning experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. So when we made our money back and we profited, I was like, oh God, well, that's, you know, it was like, sure, some, yeah. it was a great high. So, and that kind of also got me prior to that. You know, I'd always, I trained as an actor, yeah. but I'd always been a keen writer. You know, I, I liked writing, writing essays in university. Mm-hmm. I didn't hate that. I wrote for the university newspaper. And I kind of blogged and done report writing for various administrative jobs otherwise. Mm. 
But it was Aaron who was sort of like, why don't you put those things together? Or why don't, you know, you have something to say, why aren't you, this is yeah. a good platform to do that. Yeah. So because of a good experience last year, I thought, you know, I'll write something again. And then, you know, getting into the lottery prompted all that. So I would say a lot of my own thematic interests kind of were developed in that first play. Mm. Where everyone wants a t-shirt is another another female character who is has her heart set on this startup she's come up with about where she's going to uh I, I've I fully admit I loosely stole the idea from a, a thing called Potato Parcel. Okay. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it was on uh, Shark Tank, one of those dragon den type shows. Mm-hmm. Anyways, she has this potato based startup and she basically right off the top of the play bankrupts it and it ends. It's a big <coughs> passion project. Mm-hmm. So she, out of money and kind of out of hope, joins a friend's company where she sells t-shirt with feminist slogans on them. Okay. And then it's kind of the journey of her selling these t-shirts and this philosophy and kind of what comes of that whole process. Mm-hmm. And then in doing so, also keeping hold onto her own sort of interests and values in that sense. Okay. So... That's where I am right now at that point. Have you worked yeah. in this startup world at all? I have. I haven't personally. Okay. I think a lot of what I'm drawing on in that sense is sort of artistic. Pro- like I know what it means to be entrepreneurial yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of I think every artist has to be. Yeah, yeah. And you have to sort of identify what are my values? What am I interested in? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, I have friends who are, you know, in business or that world mm-hmm. who I admire from afar and go sure. like, I don't know how you do that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But I was conscious about, I think I came at it being interested in, legitimately being interested in sort of the politic you can put on Mm t-shirts and then thinking, okay, well, who would be in that world and what would the context be if that was your livelihood? And that's where the startup and all that other stuff kind of came in, you know? Can I ask you about your, when you were thinking about writing your first one as a solo play? Yeah. And what it was, you said, you know, the cliches of that yeah. sort of scared you off. What, what what was it about a solo play that, that made you, first off, think about, do, want to do one and yeah. not want to do it? Um, well, because I think the topic was very me. Like, I knew I was going to be playing me. Right. Um, and when I started, because I come from more of a, like, journalistic writing background, I was just writing in my voice. Right. Written a lot of, like, you know, like, personal essay blog form. So I was mm-hmm. like, well, I don't know how to write dialogue. I know how to write my own voice. So I know how to write like, you know, several pages just about my own thoughts. So I think that's why Solo called me in that Mm -hmm. sense. And then I, I just, there's so many great spoofs of one person shows. Mm -hmm. Like I was thinking of, you know, I, I'm trying to think at the time, I guess La La Land, she does that. There's the scene, you know, where she does her show and you're just sort of. Uh, you're you're cringing a little bit, yes, and then you yeah. know I saw Big Sick. I wouldn't have had Big Sick in mind when I was writing this past mm-hmm. summer, but he has this terrible one man show. It's just yes, like that yeah. thing. So, and I think I just never take myself seriously. Mm. I think that's part of also where my own sense of humor comes is that, okay. and you know, it's hard as an artist. You really have to take yourself seriously. I think, I think uh, to a certain to degree, a certain extent, to a certain degree, yes. you have to. Because <clears throat> well, if you don't take yourself seriously, why is anybody else going to take you seriously? Exactly. But yeah. I think if you can take yourself seriously, but also have a sense of humor about it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think I was just writing a solo show, mm-hmm. and I was probably, and the show ultimately came very self-deprecating, mm-hmm. and I think it mm-hmm. was at that point. But I just thought, oh, I just can't and I think also being an actor too I know what it's like to have somebody else on stage supporting you Mm. someone driving you further and I couldn't figure out 
I think it's supposed to be the audience in the case of a solo show, but I just couldn't figure out. I thought, no, I just, I can't do it alone. It's so rare for, I I mean, I've seen a lot of solo shows. Yeah. In in Fringe, if I'm in a lineup and somebody comes up and the first thing they say to me is, let me tell you about my show, it's the story of my struggle with. Yes. I'm not going to see the show. Exactly. Exactly. I'm not going to see the show. Yeah. Um, And I've seen shows where they talk at the audience. Yeah. But. You need to talk to the audience. Yeah. Like, they're your scene partner. Yeah. Um, and I have seen so few shows where that happens. Yeah. Um, when I did my solo show, yeah. that was, like, the thing my director was like, you have to, your audience is your, your scene partner. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> well, I, that means I have to make eye contact with you. It was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was fucking terrified. But it was, like, super rewarding. But yeah. Again, like... I wasn't writing about me. I was writing fiction. Okay. Which is that, like, so, because I didn't want to be going up to people saying it's the story. This of is me. Yeah. Whatever, which is a tough one. It's a terrible, you know, I saw some great, I'm thinking too, I, what might have also started me on this, mm. I saw some really great, 2016 was a year that I saw like three solo shows that I was like, mm-hmm. I saw one at Progress. I don't mm. remember the name of it, but it was a Canadian guy based in the UK now who did this told this long story, seated at a desk, spoke in a very, like, shrill pace, and mm-hmm. then he ended the whole thing with this amazing, I think it was punk rock set, where it just got progressively louder and the lights got, and it was just amazing. Okay. Don't know what the name, but it really, <coughs> and then I saw Daughter, and mm-hmm. I saw Lessons in Temperament in the mm-hmm. summer, mm-hmm. and they just both also caught me in terms of, like, yeah. wow. And that, and ultimately what might have inspired me to then write in that form probably also deterred me, and I was like, oh. I can't, I don't know how to write lessons in temperament. How does a guy do that? You know, like it's so, it took me eight years to write mine. Oh, I can't imagine. It's like, it's not for me. It's like, it's not something that I can just churn out. Yes. You know, this, this shit takes time. Yeah. Um, but again, you've got people who do it, who do do it brilliantly. Yeah. And you know, I could definitely see like losing the will to do it after a while, especially when you're like, I have, (laughs) it's, February, I have like <laughs> yeah, whatever, that's exactly right? it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So when you started writing it, did, was it difficult? Like, was it difficult for you to, to give up on the idea of of the solo player? Or was it really easy? Oh, it was a relief. <laughs> I think once I was writing one scene because it was all about me, and there was one scene because uh, Aaron and I basically we've done the same thing this year. Maybe it's been more so two week mm. deadlines, but we meet once a week. So I'll write mm. something, and then he'll come back, and we'll talk about it, and he'll be like, "Why this? Why that?" Blah blah blah. So there's one scene that I was writing, and he was like, "Try writing it as a dialogue." Mm. And I kind of always had in mind uh, a friend of mine, Tony Perpuse, who ended up being in the show with me, and he was with me actually when I found out that I won the lottery. I kind of, even though I wrote it as a solo show, I always pictured him present. I have mm. no idea. But now that I think about it, I'm like, why did I picture? But he was always silent. Yeah, yeah. So mm. I was writing one scene and he's like, you know, why don't you write it and do dialogue between you and Tony? And I was like, okay. Mm. And I did that and I went, oh, this isn't awful. I thought this was going to be awful. Mm. And then I immediately was like, all right, the solo show is out. I'm just going to do this, you know. And then I think I wondered too, like, what was the point of the silent character anyways? I think that was just a little bit of me being subconscious and being like, it's not totally a solo show. Look, there's somebody else here, you know. It, it, sound, it sounds like yeah. it was like, I need a scene partner. Yes, yeah. And I, I don't think I can make the audience that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I just eventually gave him a voice and then I went, all right, yeah. that's good, you know. And when you, 
Somehow, when you got into the, the, the fringe this year, did you yeah. have any idea when, when, when the lottery happened, what you might write about? A little bit. Yeah. I had, so after having a good time at fringe, I was like, I want to write something else. And then I took the fall to do my first time applying for recommender grants, none mm-hmm. of which I got, but it meant I spent like two months trying to articulate some sort of idea which became an amazing exercise in like, oh, what am I going to do? So I think I was caught on wanting to write. I was just going on, what am I interested in right now? So I was like, I really, I've always been interested in food, always wanted to write a food play. So I Mm. thought, I want to do a food play. And you know what? I love, for being the cynical person I am, I love romantic comedy and I want to subvert that genre somehow. Mm. So I was was thinking about writing a play about a girlfriend who essentially makes a soup out of her ex-boyfriend in some way over the course of a play. Okay. I I can't tell. So I wrote about it endlessly in all these grant applications and I was kind of half there and that's the play I started writing when I got to the lottery because I thought, oh, this is what I'm thinking. And I probably had written maybe a quarter of it at that Mm -hmm. point. So I wrote about two drafts of it and then went, ugh, I don't know how this is going to end. And I also was writing it and thought, I think this might be a two act. I don't think this is going to be under an hour mm. anyways. So I just threw it aside. And then I started writing a play about two people interviewing for a graduate scholarship, like a kind of Rhodes-esque scholarship. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that and then I went, Oh, this is very similar to the play I wrote last year in the sense that it was two people in one room in real time kind of debating. Mm -hmm. And then I went, ugh, that's out the window. And then the t-shirt idea came to me. Okay. Yeah. So I've written, I'm on my eighth draft right now of this play and I wrote like two other plays before that. Mm. So it's just like constant. Good. You know? Yeah. Um, what was, what is your, what is your theater origin story? Like when, what is it? Where did you grow up and what what is it that made you want to do theater? I grew up in I grew up between Peterborough in Ontario and I actually spent my summers and did a couple years of school in Scotland. Okay. Um just cuz my parents they're both profs and my dad is from there, my mom mm-hmm. studied there so they always split their time, partly also cuz of their own research. And uh both of them are sort of my dad is like a hundred percent personality. He's that mm-hmm. professor who is terrible at marking, completely disorganized, but wins his students over in the room. And so he was always performing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and he was also the guy who like ran the drag show at my at the college. He so I grew up with that. Sure. And then my mom was the much more like organized, put together type. But I always remember she was someone who taught a lot of modern poetry, so read a lot of poetry. So I grew up in a house that was kind of like, people were very animated about that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, And it wasn't until, oh, I guess once in elementary school for the talent show, my parents helped me work on a performance of a Shel Silverstein poem. Mm -hmm. Something about, it's about some person talking about how sick they are and they're Mm going to, they need to stay home from school because they really don't feel well. And then at the end, it becomes very clear that they're faking it all just to get out of school. Mm -hmm. And I sort of, I just loved it. That was sort of the, my first time doing like a, a performance where I, you know, really, because yeah. I didn't have school plays really up until that point. And then it was only because when I went to middle school that my sister had done the musical theater shows at that middle school when she was there. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that. And then I auditioned and mm-hmm. I got in and had great teachers who were there for the, I stayed at that same school for high school purely because of them mm-hmm. and because mm-hmm. of that program. And I did musicals every other year, and I did this year's drama. I like classic, mm. classic, mm-hmm. you know. And then it wasn't until later in high school 
one of the summers we were in Edinburgh, we went to see, um, or maybe it wasn't, no, it must have been that, yeah. I was going to Edinburgh around the time that the National Theatre of Scotland started, which okay. was a really exciting organization. Everything they were doing, because uh, I didn't see much theatre in Peterborough, not a lot came there. Sure. Yeah. It was mostly community theatre stuff. So when I went to Edinburgh, that was me seeing like real professional shows. And there was some just exciting stuff entirely different. And that's what got me being like, oh, mm. I quite like this. Mm. But I was very self-conscious about it. And in grade 12, I was applying for culinary school and food science and theater programs. Like I was kind of, that's where my uh -huh. self-consciousness uh -huh. about being an artist was a little right. bit like, I didn't want anyone to think that I was, you know, prepping my Oscars speech or I was that kind of person. So it wasn't until that I got into a couple theater programs and I literally applied for everyone. Mm. I applied any conservatory program across the country. I applied for it because yeah. I was so like, I won't get in anywhere. So I'm just going to apply everywhere. Mm. Um, and I'll also apply for food science because that will be my sensible backup. Like, my parents yeah. didn't put any of that on me. That was okay. me just being like, you know. You know, it's funny because I can remember when I was, it was when I was in high school and, mm -hmm. and we'd be having those conversations in classroom and people were like, so, you know, in the in front of the class, what are you going to, what do you want to do when you get out of high school? What yeah. are you going to study? And I knew what I wanted to study, yeah. but I couldn't bring myself to say it. Yeah, I couldn't bring myself that to was say theater. It. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I couldn't say I want to be an actor. Yeah, for some reason. And but I always knew that's what I wanted to do, and I was but I was super self conscious. Like, yeah, they're always and you know I went to a school where I said that to the guidance counselor, and there was a like a good two minutes of silence as they sort of shifted in their seat because they didn't know what to say to that because <laughs> people didn't do that. Yeah. People go into like they go for their 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 bachelor of arts in English or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are you going? I don't even know what to tell you. Yeah. So <clears throat> I totally get like sort of not almost not wanting to say it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I couldn't. I and then it wasn't when I got into a program and I realized what it meant to study food science. Like mm. I wanted to recipe developed or write about food if I was going to do that route, and I realized I'd be doing like science a lot, which mm. I was good at science in sure. high school, but I just thought. Now, I don't think I'm passionate about science. Is that what you want to do every day, all day? Yes, yeah. exactly. What exactly. did you ultimately go to? Uh, so I went to a joint program at U of T Mississauga mm -hmm. and Sheridan College. Okay. okay. Yeah. Cool. And that was purely, uh, it was, I mean, it was funny. I auditioned for Wednesday the day before, and that was like my, at the point, it's, I don't even, it's kind of funny now that I think about why, but I, I wanted to go to Windsor. My dad had gone to Windsor and grown up in, and grown up in Windsor, and I think that's probably where it mm. mostly came from. So I went to that audition, and it was awful. I just knew it wasn't like I don't think I did anything terrible, but the whole day I was very aware. I went, I don't think these people, I don't think they didn't like me, but I thought mm. we are not click. Like I could just feel it. Yeah. Uh, and I was kind of devastated because mm. I was like, oh, I want to go to Win. Like of all, why I wanted, you know, Windsor. It's a great program, and a great yeah. school, but I mean, the city of Windsor, like it was kind of funny. But and then, you, so you had like built a Windsor. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, even more than like <coughs> National Theater School or something. Oh, yeah, okay. you know, even mm. more than that. So, and then the next day, so I was devastated. And then I had my UTM audition the next day. I was like a hundred percent the different. I went, no. oh, I get these people. These people get me. Mm. It was completely like a, a vibe. And then thankfully I got in, but it was just, I almost feel like a lot of the time for, and I feel that when I go to auditions now, mm. it is definitely a bit of a, a vibe as much yeah. as, well, I mean, obviously talent is important to a degree, of course, but mm. there's also this thing that you just kind of feel in the air sure. of like, this person gets me and yeah. this person, you know. There have been times I've gone to an audition and in the middle I'm like, mm, 
it, right? You know, I don't. I don't think I want to do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> well, so, you're worried. You're like, oh, should I not have that feeling? And you're like, no, I think no, that's I important. Think, I think it's you know? Important to yeah. Have an opinion. Yeah. And you know, it's probably telling me that for a reason. Yeah. Like, is this gonna? And you know, anytime that I've not listened to that gut, yeah, I've had a miserable experience. Yes. So, you know, it means something. Yeah. Oh, I I totally agree. Did you after the experience at uh, at the winter audition? Yeah. Were you reluctant to go to the next audition? No. No? Okay. No, I was like, oh, man, I really have to now. Mm, okay. You know, I was early enough in the process that I still had options coming. Um, but no, I was like, I, I think I was even hungrier after mm, that. I thought, okay. oh, I really need to. You know, and UTM Sheridan hadn't really been, like, it was there because I was like, okay, it's a conservatory program. I definitely, I don't want to do a degree. Yeah. Well, I want to do a degree, but I don't want to, you know, I want to be acting for yes, sure. yeah. Uh, so it hadn't really been on my radar. So it was such a surprise then when I felt walking on campus, like, oh yeah, I, this is, this is, feels right. So had you felt you know? that it wasn't right from the moment you set foot at Winter? Somewhat. you were in the rehearsal room? Uh, or sorry, in the audition room? No, probably the whole time. And that one was in Toronto. Yeah, okay. they came to Toronto and they did that. Yeah, it was just a gut thing. And again, mm. nobody did anything no. specific. It's just like, you just kind of felt it. You yeah. know, you were like, we're not connecting in the same mm. way, you know? What is it that you liked about the the Sheridan UTM program? Is there anything in particular that like uh, would, now that you've been out for a little while? Yeah, is yeah. You can that you can pinpoint. I you know I had a lot of I think it was that balance of being at a U of T campus, mm-hmm. one that is also has all the resources of U of T, but is in a small campus setting in Mississauga, mm-hmm. and then having Sheridan. So it was like, and I think that's always been what my personality has been like: is that I am an academic, thoughtful, sort of mm-hmm. reclusive person, but then I'm also that kind of, you know, yeah. you're sort of, I don't want to say actor stereotype, but I also like the other, like I like also kind of going between both worlds. Sure. So it very distinctly gave you those two mm-hmm. worlds where mm-hmm. I think in, um, you know, in, in a literal, very physical way. Yeah. And I had a lot of opportunities beyond what I did in the theater program. I was really involved in campus life in general. Mm-hmm. And I liked that community, like, and it definitely became that way mm. after a while. Um, and the, that program, I think, is very good at establishing. There are a lot of long, like, long traditions. Okay. Um, and I thought the sense of community within the program mm. was great as well. Yeah, there wasn't a cattiness. And, you know, another thing that really drew me to that program was the whole idea of cutting after a year or two. I was very aware was mm-hmm. it was a, a thing at Ryerson or at George Brown, and I knew at this program if I was going to get cut, it would sort of be on my own accord. Okay, it wasn't really it wasn't a thing that they did. Yes, because I yeah. will tell you, coming out of the George Brown system, yeah, um, and you know, I mean, there are a whole lot of things I could say about that program now. Yeah. That I've heard in two years, it was very different. I mean, I was in, so, yeah. I was there in like the nineties. Yeah, it was like a different staff. But yeah. still the the whole cutting thing exists from the Christmas break. Yeah, like. You could be cut after like three months or four months, right? And that colors everything. Yeah. Unless you're one of the golden children. Yeah. Um, you feel fear the every whole time. day. And that is not conducive to art. No. And no. that's one thing that I would be, if, if I could change anything in yeah. conservatory programs, it would be like, stop that. Yeah. Stop the cutting. Yeah. Stop cutting people. Because why are you cutting people? Because you say they're not going to cut it. Yeah. Who the fuck are you to say? Yeah. Right? Especially at that point. You yeah. Know? Yeah. There's so many people that I know who went through all these programs and they're not even acting anymore. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So who are they to say? Yeah. But anyway, 
Yeah. Soapbox. No, but I totally, and that was a fear I had in grade 12 where I just thought, oh, I don't, and you know, similarly with the other structure Mm. at places like UVic or York where you audition in your second year and then even that scared me. I just thought I want to be somewhere where I know. Yeah. I always thought it weird like at those schools where, you know, you go one year and you're a generalist and then you go to audition and we will decide where we place you. Yeah. no, but, like, what if you place me in, like, something I don't want to do? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then what? You know? Yeah. Oh, and I just couldn't, I just thought, oh, I'm going to be anxious enough about it. And, <laughs> you know, like, everything else, I don't need that yeah. on top of it all. Mm. So that was, a re- you know, if I'd gotten into, and if it had made sense to one of those other programs, mm. I, I would have thought. I actually ended up not going to my Ryerson mm. or George Brown audition. Mm. It was, um... It's a bit funny. I was. Did you know that you'd gotten in? Like, how quickly did you? Oh, I think I knew about a week later I got to the other one. And then it's quite funny. I um, I had there were two other factors. I had an outside scholarship that slightly influenced where I went, and then I was also preparing for my grade eight piano exam. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was very much on the verge of failing. Like, I was not in a good place. Okay. So my parents, uh, the kind of you know brown noser, uh, not brown noser, Mm -hmm. the kind of student I was. My parents had to sit me down and said, Madeline, you can't go. You have to prep for this piano exam, mm-hmm. or you have to decide between the piano exam or going to more theater school auditions. Right. I think they knew that I'd sort of obsessively lined up all these auditions, yeah. and they were sort of like, you need to be practicing for your piano exam. Yeah. So I got to a point where I went, okay, just let me go to the National Theater School one, and then after that I will stop. I will okay. cancel all the other ones, because mm-hmm. I'd gotten into UTM at that point. Mm-hmm. So. I, I went to the National Theatre School one. That was a very that was a very great audition room, mm-hmm. but I didn't move on beyond the initial stage. Sure. Uh, and then I passed my grade eight piano exam because okay. I devoted my weekends to get it. I nice. I did not I did not pass with flying colors, but I passed. Well, you passed. I passed. So that was the important, the important thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. At what point did like you mentioned how you've been writing a lot? Yeah. Uh, in your life. Yeah. But was it Aaron that said like you got to write a play? Yeah, oh, like, for sure. So sure. you had never considered writing a play before that? I took a playwriting course in university because I liked the prof mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, this could be interesting. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I sort of, and we also, uh, the first production you do in my program is a collective creation. Mm-hmm. So usually it's changed since, but basically you take a book, everyone adapts it. And I'd written a couple scenes for that that I really liked. Yeah. Uh, but even then it hadn't really crossed my mind. And then, yeah, it was Aaron being like, you should write a play that I was like, okay, I guess I have to write a play. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because uh, as somebody who like um, is like works in theater, yeah, like to not even think about like writing before that, really, because no. to me, yeah. like when I think about writing, like I have ideas for things, yeah, and I'm almost always like, how like that's probably a play, right? Like, and there are some people who are like, I have an idea, that's probably a novel, yeah, but theater is my vocabulary. Oh, that that's a good point. And yeah, so I, that's naturally where my writing ideas tend to go. Yeah. Um, and I I guess it's like if you're in the world of theater and not thinking about writing theater, I'm curious about what you were. I guess, what, you know, I was I was stretching that muscle in other places, I mm, guess. Mm-hmm. I was um, when I came out of university, I was writing for a, uh, a food service organization and mm-hmm. I was writing kind of like bloggy personal essay material on food and mm-hmm. campus life so I was throwing you know my voice was I, sure. I had that to write in and it's probably the same thing and that it took me forever to be okay saying I'm an actor mm-hmm. so I think I was never one of those people I never I was like oh I'm not like a theater maker like I was always like I know my thing yeah. and this is my thing yeah so I think I didn't even think about the fact of like well 
and even now I wouldn't really call myself a playwright. Like I would still, I would very much hesitate. I'm like, I've written a play. I, you know, it's funny because that whole, that whole attitude is something that I think that many of us struggle with. Yeah. Yeah. For years, I would not say that I was an actor. Yeah. Yes. Just because people look at you weird. Also, I didn't do it full time. So I felt like somehow maybe that, meant that I wasn't allowed yes. to say that I'm an actor. Yeah. Um, and also when I, in terms of writing, yeah. I have a day job. Yeah. Where I write on the side. Maybe that doesn't, maybe I don't get, maybe I'm not allowed to call myself a writer. Yeah. Um, but as time has gone on, I've gotten a lot better at that. Yeah. Um, so people say, what do you do? I might be like, I'm a writer and I also do this during the, like I yeah. do this during the day. Yeah. Yeah, but no, it's it, a long time to get there. Oh, exactly. And even, well, and that's why I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's why I was maybe even a little wary of trying in the first place yeah. where I went, well, you know, if I was a playwright, I would do that, but I'm not really. But then it's sort of like, well, how do you become a playwright unless you try? Unless Anyways. you try to write a play. Yeah. yeah. And you said you've written four plays now? Uh, this will be my second one. Okay. Oh, I mean, I guess. Like, I had to write one in universe. Mm-hmm. I officially think of it as my second play. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think yeah. you get to call yourself a playwright now. Like, you wrote yeah. a play, yeah. you get to call yourself a playwright, I think. I think, I know. No, you're right. You're totally right. And it's going to take me being like, whoa. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> Such, yeah. Like, there are words that, that we throw around and it's like, oh, playwright. That's like... Carol Churchill. Exactly. Those are playwrights. Yes. Those are playwrights. Yeah. I just wrote a play. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a self-depreciating thing that we do. Well, and it's bad, but I always think about it in terms of, like, professionalization, too. And I'm like, mm-hmm. when someone commissions me for a play, I'll be a playwright, you know? Or if someone were to do that, then I'll be that, you know? What's funny is that you've got, like, you know, that takes a long time. Like, Of course. You have yeah. to be a playwright before somebody will commission you. I know. That's that. the, like, that's the yeah. stupidity of my own logic but is, you know. I don't like, think you're alone in that. Yeah, so it's yeah. It's not a stupid logic. It's yeah. A, it's a common thing. Yeah, Because yeah. we depreciate our own talent. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you forget that it's not a skill. When you're immersed in the community, in the world, you're like, everyone has a skill set. Oh, everyone sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you get out in sort of a wider context and you go, well, I guess not. Everyone can. No, like, it's, you it's know. interesting when you're talking to people, uh, as a friend of mine would refer to them as muggles, people who don't make theater. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you're in a play, when their first, when their first question is, how do you remember all those lines? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're like, that's a dumb question. I just do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, where do your ideas come from? I don't, yeah, yeah. They come out of my brain. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but there are things that people who don't do that don't consider. Yeah. They don't even know how that works. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, well, and I was also just thinking too, you know, I think writing plays, I think it also reached a point where I sort of found myself getting to know the community and I mm-hmm. thought, how do I speak to the community? Mm-hmm. Because you only do it to a certain degree as an actor and if mm-hmm. you're not acting in something, you know, and I so what I like about playwriting and I was writing, you know, when I wrote for the university newspaper, I was communicating to my community all yeah. the time. So I went, oh, if I write a play, people will get to know, that's how, like, that's my platform to communicate to the world I live in, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. I I think if I really felt, because that is really the world I live in. Like, yeah, I live mm-hmm. in Toronto, but my community is doesn't stretch really beyond the parameters of the theater community sure. in a way. So I think what's nice about playwriting is I go, oh, this is a way for people to get to know who I am mm-hmm. and what my interests and, pl- and sort of views are and questions mm-hmm. and insecurities. Yeah. 
And, you know, just like they did at the paper, you know, mm. where I, I was writing for features so I could more regularly kind of share those opinions. I wasn't yeah. doing straight news reporting. Yeah. So that's what I kind of liked about it as well. So yeah. this is something that lets you sort of <clears throat> reveal yourself in a way that actors often don't get. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think acting and the roles I've done have revealed certain parts of my personality. Mm -hmm. But I think there's another side that, that's more apt to come out in writing that I don't necessarily do in the other thing. Sure. You know? Also, like, the words are given to you by somebody else. Yes. So you're, like, yeah. twisting yourself into somebody else's words. And this is, like... This, this can be all you. Yeah. 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 And you're kind of, the questioning is different. You're kind of like when you walk in as an mm. actor, you go, even on new works, I find to a certain degree, you walk in and you go, okay, this is the truth. Like, this is the gospel truth, mm, you know? Yeah. And you, that's all you do. Where at least when you're writing, you're like, oh, I can question myself a bit more. Mm, and I can, yeah. you know? It's a fascinating thing, yeah. position to be in when you are both the writer and the actor. Yeah. And the different conversations that you're having. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when you suddenly realize that something doesn't work and you're like, I could try to make it work or I could just rewrite it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is something you would never do if it was a play written by somebody else. So it's a, a, an amazing freedom. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's the nice thing too. And that's why, you know, I wrote myself in my first play the first time because of course I was going to. And of course I was going to do, I mean, yeah. who would it? Who, you know, as yes. an actor foremost, you're like, well, I'm going to be in my... And sure. last year I had to because it, it was me. It was very it was mm. very explicable. But I also, what's nice about, and now as a writer, I think I have this kind of mindset where I'm like, I need to hear other people read it. Mm -hmm. But I also, when I read it, I also get a known understanding. Like I remember, I felt last year with the play we did in early reading at one point, I went, I don't feel that sense of reward that you get as an mm -hmm. overall character arc that I know when I've read previous roles. Mm -hmm. I I can feel it when I'm able to read it internally and explore yeah. it internally. Mm. That's different than if I wasn't at all, which yeah. is kind of a nice place to be in where as an actor I go, okay, and the roles I've done previously, I know what that reward is like at the end. And mm. right now reading my own play, I don't mm. have that, you mm. know? Mm. So it's nice. There's that kind of intuition you don't get otherwise. Sure. I don't know that other playwrights would, would feel it in another way. Probably. I always like to hear written read by other people. Yes. It, yes. I'm lying. That's not entirely true. Because my solo play, the first step, like I could only read it. Like I had to be the yes. one who was reading it. Yeah. Um, but usually when I write for a cast of people, yeah. I need to hear other people read it. Otherwise I'm just, I, there's, I'm too, I'm acting and I'm not writing it. So, uh, yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's the same as, you know, when I think about it in my own, in writing that's not dramatic writing, I always have to read that aloud mm -hmm. in a similar kind of, a, like, you can only read in your head so often before you have to hear it out loud. Mm -hmm. And I think in plays, it's that, that's the equivalent separation is having somebody else read it. Yes. You yeah, know? Yeah. You can only read it out loud to yourself so many times before you go, okay, how does this sound in somebody else's? Well, that's the, that's you the know? thing. Yeah. Is you have to, you have to hear that. Yeah. Um, and you were saying the, that, um, Everybody Wants a T-Shirt is yeah. at the Theatre Pass Marai Backspace? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And the other play, where is that? That's at the Al Green. The Al Green. Yeah. That's a, have you worked in that space before? We actually, with both both companies, were in the same space as we were in last oh, year. Oh, nice. And okay, that was good. by, yeah. like, that's where we wanted to be Lucky. in both cases. Yeah. 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 Nice. The Al Green is, I had never been there before. I'd never seen a show before. Mm -hmm. I thought it was massive. And I thought, thank God I am not here with my two-person play. Right. Like, I just, no. I would be disturbed. I yeah. I would ever put a two-person show on that stage. It's just. <sighs> it's massive. It's, massive. it's yeah. too big. And the house is way too big. Like, yeah. Even when you're doing a show with, like, a lot of people, you feel like, how the fuck do we put all the people? Like, how are we going to fill this theater? Yeah. Yeah. 
so big. Yeah, it was it was perfect though for the Soul Express shows though because we have quite large casts. Mm-hmm. So we needed the space. It's also very accessible in terms of public transit. It's yes. right at Spadina. Uh, and the beauty of it, which I didn't really realize until we got into the show, is that it's since it's in a community center, there's always a space to wait. Oh, you know, when yes, I turn yes, up yes. at the back space, I'm like you're sitting on the side. street. You know, yeah. yeah. So you're yeah. there. So when you're with a group of people where suddenly accessibility needs are ranging, it's great to be in a space where there's a community center, there's somewhere to wait inside. Yes. That yeah, kind yeah. of cuts out any sort of difficulty. Yeah. Like if it's raining, you don't have to be like... Under an umbrella, under exactly. umbrella outside the back space. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which I will happily put up with, you know, in oh, that sure. case. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's changes part things. Of fringe, you know? Yes, yeah. Are you uh, online? Do you have, are you on social media? Do you have a website? I, ha- I have a website, and this is how much of myself. I, it's still madelinebrown.weebly.com. Okay, I think okay. I'll, I'll buy the domain when I, you know, I don't know, when I get a Broadway con or something like, you know, for now I'm like, mm-hmm. Weebly can get their credit. Sure. Uh, yeah, and that's, and then technically, all our social media for the show I've written for Everybody Wants a T-Shirt will be... It's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Prairie Fire, please. Uh, please, spelled P-L-Z. Mm-hmm. That's the company name okay. that we produce under. Yeah. And are you yeah. are you on the on the Twitters uh, yourself? I'm not. No? I'm not. I You know, what, I, I, I did all the tweets for our account last year, and yeah. I had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I really liked doing that. And I thought about it for a second, and I just went, nah... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have enough time to waste on my own Facebook account. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.